I want y'all to know, I want y'all to um, see if you recognize this song. And at any point, if you recognize this song, um, feel free to sing along to it, okay? Nobody knows this song? Dance. Okay, here we go. I would walk 500 miles and I would walk 500 more just to be the man. Thousand miles to fall down at your door. There we go. Balada. Okay, so what is that? Who is that? What is that? Tell me. The Proclaimers. Yeah, they're not pretenders. Another great band. Uh, what's that song called? There we go, Tom. It's not called 500 Miles. 500 Miles is in parentheses. It's called I'm Gonna Be. Okay, this song, if you don't know, the Proclaimers uh, are actually Scottish twins. You didn't know they were Scottish from their accents. Um, and that song was a smash hit, like, not just in Scotland or the States, but also Canada and Australia and Iceland and everywhere. And uh, they asked one of the twins, um, Craig Reed, wrote it about his wife, and he said he wrote the whole song in 45 minutes. And he, he said, quote, uh, it was like falling off a log, like it just came to him so easily. And uh, of course it did, because he's talking about he loves his wife, and it's just like the overflow of his love. And so um, what connects in this song? There's, when adversity comes, uh, you're going to go in either one of two directions, depending on your love. Um, if you are half-hearted and adversity comes and it's trying to get in between you and the person that you feel half-heartedly about, uh, you're going to just walk a few miles. You're not going to go very far. And then you're going to lose interest and walk the other direction, right? We've all been there. You go on a date. It's not, it's not that great. Some weird stuff comes up. And you're like, okay, cool. I'm out of here. But when adversity comes and you really love somebody, man, that's a different story because love makes you bold and love makes you fearless. And when adversity comes and you love somebody or you love something, uh, then you just double down on the tenacity and love makes you fight, right? Yeah, real love makes you fight. And that's, um, that's where we're going tonight. That's what we see in our, our passage from Paul. Uh, we're gonna have uh, Tom Markham come up and read it in just a second. But I just want to set it up. If you haven't been with us, we're going through the letter uh, 1 Thessalonians, and Paul is writing to this church. He helped plant this church a few months ago. He had never met these people before. God just called him to bring the message of the gospel, and the gospel just means good news in Greek. It's the good news of God's love for people in Jesus Christ. And so Paul is taking this message. He preached at a synagogue like three, Sunday, three Sabbath days in a row, and then he was meeting with people in their homes who wanted to learn more. And that's how he established the church in this place. And then he had to leave because he was getting kicked out because of all this 
persecution. These people were uh, not very happy about him bringing the gospel message to, the, to their city. And so um, he actually got sent away uh, so that terrible things wouldn't happen to him. And so he is away, and months have passed now, and he, is, he loves these people so dearly, and he's very concerned about their faith in the midst of affliction. And so he is writing this letter to them. But one of the reasons we are studying this letter now is because um, he talks a lot about joy in this letter. And so each week uh, we're, we're thinking about, you know, what is Paul saying to us? What is God saying to us through the words of Paul about finding joy in affliction? And so tonight what we're going to talk about is that my joy in affliction is found in fighting for your faith. When I am in affliction, my joy is found in fighting for your faith. So Tom, if you come up and, and read our passage for us. Okay. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, 6 through 13. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you, for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. Wait, sorry. That's wrong. We're starting in the wrong place. Uh-oh. So here. Start. You can use my Bible. I get to use the pastor's yeah. Bible. We're just going to read uh, <laughs> the whole chapter three. This is just the lyrics to the Proclaimers song. I know, I know. Just, just read them again. They're good. First Thessalonians chapter three. The whole thing? Whole thing. The whole thing. All right. Take a deep breath. Get comfortable. <laughs> First Thessalonians chapter three. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer... We were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith, that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourself know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you, for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see, your see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Pray for us. Father, we thank you for not leaving us alone, uh, for giving us your word, that it is timeless, Lord, that it is uh, living and active, and we pray that it would come and, 
uh, act on us and uh, make our souls alive, Lord. Don't allow us to leave this place the same way that we came in. I pray that you would keep your promise to us in love, that you would change us through your word uh, to give us more life and more freedom in you, Jesus. And ask this in, ask this in your name. Amen. Okay, so um, we got to start with affliction. And whose voice is the loudest in affliction? This word that Paul's using for afflictions in the Greek just means trouble and suffering, that which causes pain. And so here, uh, some of that is taking the form of people who are actively opposing the gospel and actively opposing these people gathering to worship God. Um, But that, you know, afflictions can be all sorts of things. And so God, we got to start here, God has a purpose in allowing us to experience afflictions. Um, James 1, 2 through 4 says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So when the Lord allows afflictions to come into your life, um, he has good purposes for those. He will use them. Um, you You can trust him. You can lean on him in these times of affliction because he's doing something good for you. He is keeping his promise to bring you abundant life. Um, but that's not the only person who has purposes for afflictions. There is, uh, if, if you are not a Christian or this is not familiar to you, um, we believe that there is a spiritual world that is uh, very active all around us that we cannot see. And uh, there is an enemy. There is, uh, he's called Satan, he's called the tempter in this passage, but he is opposed to God, and he is opposed to God's people, and he is opposed to everything that God loves and everything that God's doing. Um, We don't have to fear because um, God is more powerful than he is, Um, but he is actively at work trying to undo the connection between man and God all the time. And so in afflictions, he he also likes to, to use afflictions for his own purposes. So here, Paul fears that the Thessalonians would be moved by these afflictions that they're experiencing. That that word moved literally means to be wagged like a dog wags its tail. And so what what he's saying is, um, I'm afraid that the tempter is at work in you using these afflictions to tempt you to walk away from the faith, to, to not believe in this truth that God loves you and he's poured out his love for you in the person of Jesus to bring you to himself, to adopt you, to be your father, to give you life. Um, The evil one is using afflictions to try to move us away from faith in the truth of that message of the gospel. And so like a boxer uses his jab or uses like his combo to kind of set up the big haymaker that's coming later, that's how the, the evil one is always moving and working on us, working on us, working on us through afflictions And if we are not aware of this, if we are not present to this reality, um, then he will have success in moving us away from faith. And that can be dramatic. That can happen all at once in a big dramatic statement of like, I'm out of here. Like, I, I, you know, resign the faith and I'm never, never coming back. Um, But that can also happen in really subtle ways. That can also happen really slowly and quietly. He He can go to work like a covert ops team in undercover ways in our lives, using afflictions and working on us and working on us in very quiet ways, and we don't even know that it's happening. 
So here, um, he is working on them in very public ways. Um, but what he is doing is he is attacking their faith. And that's what he has done from the beginning. If, if you look throughout scripture, in the Garden of Eden, the first people who existed, he enters the garden, the tempter, and, and basically says, you can't trust God. Walk away and find life on your terms. When Jesus comes, at the beginning of his ministry, he's led by the Holy Spirit in Matthew 4 out into the wilderness, and it says that the evil one, the tempter, meets him in the wilderness. And what does he say to Jesus there? Essentially, you can't trust God, walk away, find life on your terms. And that's essentially what he's trying to do here to the Thessalonians. Look at all this stuff that's happening to you. You can't trust God, walk away, and go back to finding life on your own terms. And he loves to work in affliction, and he also loves to work in isolation. And we know what that feels like, right? Um, maybe some of y'all are very aware how he's been working on you in, in this season of isolation. And maybe some of y'all are not aware, and the lights are coming on, and you're like, oh, that's what's been happening. And so the question for us is, again, you know, does, does this still happen? You know, if he is real and God is real, and the spiritual realm is real, is this not still happening today? What do you think? Yeah? I think so. And so then the next question is, how, how is he working on us now, right? It doesn't mean that he's having success. It doesn't mean we have to be afraid, because for those of us who are in Christ, um, he, who is greater, he who is in us is greater than the one who is in the world. We don't ever have to be afraid, but we need to be awake, and we need to be aware, and we need to take our thoughts captive and understand what's happening. And so, just to stop and ask, how is he trying to work on us right now? So Paul and Timothy love these people so deeply. They run into this isolation. They run into these afflictions to fight for these people's faith. Um, Timothy, we're talking about walking 500 miles, Timothy walked about 300 miles in each direction to leave Paul where they were in Athens doing ministry and sharing the gospel there. Um, he leaves Paul alone. Paul sends him away because he says, this is so important. We love these people and I'm afraid that the evil one is tempting them to come off of their faith. And so he sends Timothy on a 300 mile, 600 mile round trip journey to come and see these Thessalonians and to just see them face to face and say, how are you doing? And so over this month-long process, he goes and spends time with the Thessalonians and he comes back to Paul with this encouraging report. But um, Paul says this in our, our passage, in all of our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. Like, the thing that Paul is precious to Paul is not these people's comfort. It's not these people's warm feelings. It's their faith. If, if your faith is being strengthened, then I'm good. Because I love you so much, that's what I care about the most. Because if, if you are locked in and you are living out of this reality that God loves you so much that he sent Jesus to reconcile you to him so that you could have life in him, what you were made for, then I'm good. It's okay if you're in affliction. It's okay that I can't always be with you. 
But what I really care about is that your faith is, is rooting and growing stronger and stronger and stronger. So how, how do they do that? How do we do that? How do you fight for the faith of people that you love? How do we fight for one another's faith? Because that's what God's calling us to do in this body, in this family. We see here in the passage, um, it starts with this. Telling one another, you're not alone in both words and actions. And how powerful is that? I mean, think back to times in your life where you've really been hurting, and when somebody reminds you that you are not alone, that is powerful. And so it starts with just the encouragement of your presence. When somebody moves into your life and just sits with you, and is just physically present with you, they don't even have to say anything, right? Like, hey, I'm just with you. Like, you're going through something really hard, and, and, and I don't know what all I can do for you, but I know what I can do. I can just sit here and be with you and physically be in your home. I can physically be present with you and remind you, be a physical, tangible reminder that you are never alone, that God will never leave you. And I'm evidence of that. I'm right here. Paul is just fighting and fighting and fighting to get in front of these people. They have got to see these people face to face. We just, we want to get back here so bad so we can see you. We just want to lay eyes on you and be with you. And it's also this reminder, uh, verbal reminder, that you are not alone. When Paul says, um, we reminded you that you are destined for this. This is, this is not some strange thing that's happening to you that is not happening to everyone else. And that's what the evil one loves to do, is he loves to take you and your circumstances and put the blinders on and make you feel like you're the only person who experiences this. You're the only person who struggles with this sin. You are the only person who is walking through this turmoil. You are the only person who knows what it's like to experience that kind of pain. Well, guess what? That's never true. That is never, ever true. But what happens is when I start to believe that, then I start to pull back from the table that is this community. Because I start to feel shame about my sin. Or I start to feel shame about my pain. Why can't I get my life together like these people have their life together? Guess what? We're all in the same place. Uh, a very wise mentor once told me, um, we get in trouble all the time because we're comparing our insides with everyone else's outsides. <laughs> Don't ever do that. That's a really dumb thing to do. But we do it all the time. It's hard not to, right? And so it's this verbal reminder of like, hey, you are not alone. We are destined for this. We are destined for this. This is part of the plan. And God's goodness and wisdom, like he's told us already, like this is what's coming. I mean, look at the life of Jesus. This isn't the end, thank God. But, but for where we are in the story right now, we are, we are, this is normal. Like we are all gonna experience afflictions. And so when we can say that to one another, when I can be reminded like, hey, especially when it comes to sin, right? Like when I'm struggling with sin, and I believe I'm the only one, then I believe I'm some kind of freak. And everybody else is clean, and I'm dirty. And so I just pull back from the table because I'm like, you can't handle me and what I have going on. You guys are dealing with, like, you know, trying not to cuss or something, and I'm over here dealing with some really dark stuff. But as we can remind one another, and, and as we grow in relationships where there's a, a trust and a vulnerability, and we can share that stuff and confess our sins to one another and be healed, 
Man, that's powerful. That's really powerful. And he also talks about establishing your faith and supplying what is lacking in your faith. So it's, this, it's physical presence. It's verbal reminders of, hey, you're not alone. You're not the only one who deals with that. You're not the only one who feels like this. You're not the only one who experiences that. And it's also this other thing, um, supplying what is lacking in your faith. That word uh, used in this passage is the same word used for mending fishing nets. So it's this idea that as we continue to be strengthened and established in understanding the gospel, as we come together and do what we're doing right now, as we worship Jesus together, as we hear and we learn more about him and his word together, as we learn how to apply that word to our life, what's actually happening is God is using us in this community in his word and his Holy Spirit to bind up and tie up the holes uh, in our faith, in the places where the evil one is trying to get a foothold and tempt us to believe that the gospel is not true or God can't love us or he's not going to keep his promises or he's not faithful or whatever else he's trying to sell. Um, when we come together around his word and in the presence of one another in the Holy Spirit, um, we are tying up those loose ends in each other's faith and, and preventing those holes from the fish getting out of our nets or from uh, the evil one getting a foothold in our faith. It reminds me, I told you all, I gave you a warning a couple weeks ago. I'm back in the Lord of the Rings, and so you're going to hear a lot of Hobbit talk. Um, and I'm, I'm going to keep good on that promise right now. Um, it, there's this beautiful passage in the first book of the Lord of the Rings where um, Sam is, has told Frodo that he's going to go with him to the darkest ends of his journey. Um, they're going to leave the comfort of the Shire, this safe, warm, happy place, and they're, they're on a march uh, that they believe may be their doom. Uh, on the way to destroy the ring in Mordor. And Frodo says, uh, they've had their, basically their first encounter with danger that is bigger than them. And so after that, Frodo says, do you still mean to come with me? And Sam says, I do. Frodo says, it's going to be dangerous, Sam. Most likely, neither of us will come back. And Sam says, if you don't come back, sir, then I shan't. We need to use that word more often, shan't. If you don't come back, sir, then I shan't. That's certain. Don't you leave him, they said to me. Leave him, I said. I never meant to. I am going with him. If he climbs to the moon and if any of those black riders try to stop him, they'll have Sam Gamgee to reckon with, I said. I love that. And I think the reason I love that is because I was made for that. I was made to be in those kind of relationships. I was made to be in that kind of community. Don't, don't you want to be in that kind of community? <laughs> like, don't you want to have friends who say that kind of thing and then mean it and then actually back up what they're saying and walk with you into the darkest places wherever the Lord has you going? Say, hey, I, I'm just, what, do I, what am I going to do? I don't know. I mean, Sam Gamgee is a little hobbit and they're about to go face these like supernatural powers of darkness. What's he going to do? Nothing, really, right? He doesn't have any power in himself. But he's like, but I can be with you, and I'm going to walk with you, and I'm never going to leave you, and wherever you go, you're never going to have to go there by yourself. That's what I can do. And that's, that's what the Lord's inviting us into in his family of faith. In the church, that's what the church is supposed to be, is this community where we all live like that with one another. As we grow and as we learn and as we grow in relationship with Jesus and with each other, we are increasingly becoming a people who are raising our hand and saying, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to leave you. 
Are you kidding me? You think I would let you walk down that dark road by yourself? No way. Well, isn't it going to be dangerous? Yeah, of course it's going to be dangerous, but I, that's, that's what I signed up for. And so where does the power come from to do that? I mean, this all sounds really good. And then you encounter real dark, dangerous places, and then, you know, maybe you start to pull back a little bit. Like, yeah, I was going to go with you. And then I saw where we were headed, and I'm not going to go anymore. I've got this thing i got to do. We're going to need something outside of ourselves if we're going to live like that. And so, the, so where does this power come from? Um, I want us to look at the last two verses of our, our passage. It's this prayer that Paul is, is praying to God as he writes to these people, and he says this, May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. What, what in the world does that mean? Well, it means that he is praying that the Lord Jesus would make their love for each other and for everyone, not just this room, but those who don't yet know the Lord. He's praying that Jesus would make their love for all these people increase until it's overflowing. And that that would enable them, that in that Jesus would establish their hearts, that he would establish their faith firm because of the power of experiencing that kind of overflowing love for God and for each other. So what is our part in this? Um, Because it's easy to miss here and get it confused. Um, Our part in this is not to work up that overflowing love for each other or for God, because we can't do that. Um, Our part is not to establish anyone's hearts in faith, including our own, because we can't do that. Jesus does that. Jesus alone does those things. Jesus alone increases the love in our hearts for God and for each other, and Jesus alone establishes our faith in him, But our part is to pursue Jesus and each other with the love that we do have in us right now and to continue to ask him to give us more and more and more until it's overflowing. That's what we do is we pursue the best we can right now with what we've got and we just keep asking him for more. We follow Paul in this prayer. Would you please give, give me more love for these brothers and sisters. Give me more love for you. Give me more love for them. Give me more love for the people who are walking around who are totally separated from you, Lord, and they were made for you. Would you just give me more love for all of these people so that my love would overflow? And as our love grows, as he increases our love, it overflows for one another. Um, that's powerful because you get a lot more of these relationships where we're raising our hand for each other and saying, hey, I'm not going anywhere. And we're going to pursue Jesus together, and I'm going to walk with you down these dark roads. And the more and more that that happens, the stronger and stronger our faith is established in him because we are the hands and the feet and the mouth and the heart of Jesus for each other. We are, we are Jesus in the flesh for each other as we live like this. As he gives us his love for each other, we are very visible 
physical, tangible reminders that the gospel is true, that God does love us like that, because look at these people who are doing their best, who are imperfectly following Jesus in that kind of love for me. You know, uh, a, a place where this became so clear to me and so powerful was uh, at Lee and Mai's rehearsal dinner on our wedding weekend. I stood up at the end to, uh, to thank everybody for coming. And as I looked around the room, I just got so emotional because I'm looking at these faces of these friends and these family members and these mentors and these people that God has just placed at every fork in the road in my life. And I just thought, you are the reason I can believe the gospel. Like the way that you love me, the way that you spoke life into me, the way that you walked with me down these dark roads, the way that you engaged with me in a physical way that embodied Jesus is, is what helps me believe that the gospel can actually be true. If, if I hear the news, the good news of the gospel, and never feel it or experience it from another living being, it's really hard to believe that that's true, right? But the more that I can feel and hear the love of God from my brothers and sisters, uh, it's a lot easier for me to believe that this really is true. And Jesus alone can give us this kind of love for each other because he's the only one who knows it. He's the only one who is this kind of love. He's the only one who's lived this kind of love. In the beginning of uh, chapter 13 of John's gospel, it says, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He knew what was coming. He knew that his road was about to get very, very dark and very, very painful and very, very lonely. And what was he thinking about? He was thinking about loving his father and loving his friends. I'm going down this dark road for you. All, what we can do is we can go down these roads with each other in a certain way. But what Jesus did was he walked down our darkest road so that we wouldn't even have to go. He said, no, 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 I'm not just going with you. I'm going for you. you. You can't go down this road and come back alive. I alone can. And I love you, and that's, that is what I'm about to do. And he went down that dark road so that you and I could have life, so that we would never be separated from God again, so that we would experience the abundant life and the love and the freedom and the joy that we were made for. And so now... He, he works that love into us. It's the love that he's put into us to pour out to one another and to those who don't yet know him but are longing to be loved by him. And, and he will pour out that love through us. That is so amazing. And all we have to do, all we have to do is just raise our hand and say, give us more. Lord, would you just please show me more of how much you love me? Would you open my heart to have more love for you and more love for these people? And then just watch what he does because he's faithful and he will answer that prayer. So I'm going to do that right now. Father, um, Lord, we are, we are so tempted when we face affliction to turn inward and to focus on ourselves. And we go down a, a very uh, dark and narrow place in our minds. And uh, you are telling us here in this passage, you are telling us with your life, Jesus, and with your words, 
um, that, no, no, actually the way to find joy in affliction is to, to look outward, to, to love God and to love others um, with all that we have, with your love that you've put in us. And so, Lord, would you put more in? Lord, would you give us more and more and more love until it's overflowing and that we would experience life the way that we were meant to um, in loving you and loving each other uh, with, with your self-forgetting, uh, self-sacrificing love. And uh, as we do that, Lord, would you draw people into this community uh, through that love? Would you strengthen our faith through this love so that you would firmly establish us against the temptations of the evil one to walk away? Because we know because we have experienced through you, through your spirit, through your word, through the love of each other and the words of each other, uh, that this good news is indeed true and we can stand on it. And we ask you to do this in Jesus' name.